Psalms. I'll tell you exactly where here in just a few minutes. Uh, but we were having our fellowship in the foyer prior to going on the air. Uh, the Brent and I were speaking, and I was telling him that from time to time, uh, the Lord gives you a message that is outside of the framework of what you are used to preaching and outside of the style that you are used to preaching. I'm sure you've been around church long enough to recognize that every preacher has their own style, the way that they preach and the talents that God gave them and how the Lord leads them to preach. And uh, you know, every message begins with the leadership of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Word of God. And uh, He stirs your heart for a truth. Uh, and you take that truth and you begin plugging into the structure, uh, into the style that you normally preach in. And it's kind of like drag and drop. If you do that on your computer, you grab hold of a picture and you drag it across the screen and you drop it into the file or drop it into the program that you're running. But from time to time, when you're dragging and dropping, you'll grab the picture you'll drag it across the screen and try to drop it in a folder and the computer will tell you no. Now I'll be honest with you, I hate when that happens because you know, you buy the computer, it should do what you tell it to do and I hate when the computer tells me that I can't do what I want it to do but from time to time you try to drag that picture into that file and drop it and it's just not fitting into that file for whatever reason and the message tonight is very similar to that. Uh, as the Lord laid on our heart what to preach tonight, I uh, began taking the truths that he gave us and tried to drag them into the normal structure of how I like to preach and how my style of preaching is and it just was not working and uh, my wife even noticed my frustration when I came home this afternoon and she says everything okay I said yep I said I'm gonna have to preach a little different style and uh, nobody likes getting outside of their comfort zone as well as we're already out of our comfort zone uh, but to be honest with you preaching is not about my style it's about his substance and uh, so I'm gonna preach for you what he's laid on our heart tonight and it's gonna be a little bit different structure. It's going to be a little bit different uh, tempo, but I believe this is exactly, or I know this is exactly what the Lord would have us to preach on. Sunday night, I mentioned to you that tomorrow is our national day of prayer, and what a convenient opportunity we're going to have uh, to come together as a Christian country and unite our hearts together and call out to God in our time of need. I mentioned to you Sunday night that I believe it would be a great thing for all of our people, and I want to encourage you as much as possible for you to set aside as much of your day tomorrow as possible and devoted to calling on God and calling out to God and asking him for healing for our country. Tomorrow morning we'll put up a post, uh, what I mentioned to you Sunday night, about park and pray. And I want to encourage you, uh, maybe on your lunch break, maybe on your way to work early in the morning or after you get off work tomorrow after, afternoon, I want to encourage you to make your way to the church parking lot, uh, just spend some time in prayer, not only for our church but for our country uh, as a whole. Now, here's where the burden comes in. As we begin praying about what to preach tonight, we're not going to be in our Growing in the Gap series. We're going to get back to that next week, Lord willing. But as we begin praying about what to preach, uh, what the Lord burdened us about was making sure we know how to pray to the Lord and making sure we know what to pray to the Lord about. I'll be honest with you, I don't know that we have very many shots left to get this right. And I don't know that we have very much time left to get a hold of God. And so we need to make every prayer count. And we need to know what we're praying for. And I I think for too long when we pray, we literally just throw up prayers. And if you know that terminology from sports, maybe in basketball or maybe in football for a quarterback, uh, when you throw up a prayer, it's a very unlikely chance and it's something you're doing with your fingers crossed, just hoping something may come out of it. And I don't believe we can afford to just throw up prayers anymore. I believe there's too much at stake right now in our country. And I don't know that we've ever been at such a pivotal place that we needed to ring the doorbell of heaven and get a hold of God. And so tonight in the message, my birth 
burden, the burden the Lord's given us for the message tonight, is that we'll make sure we're ready to get in touch with God and to make sure that we are ready to ask God to be restored. And we're going to look at that thought in the message tonight of when we're ready to be restored. When we're ready to be restored. And you say, well, how do we know that? How do we know when we're ready to call upon God and ask God for healing and restoration in our, in our country? And I believe you'll not find a more detailed account of how to know when you're ready to be restored than in Psalms chapter number 51. So I want you to make your way to Psalms chapter number 51. And I believe in the life of King David, we're going to see a detailed account of how we will know when we are ready to call upon God and to ask God for restoration. So turn to Psalms 51. I'm going to give you just a few minutes to get there, a few seconds to get there. And then when you get there, we're going to flip the script a little bit tonight. Rather than read and pray, we're going to pray and then we're going to read. Because tonight, and I hope this doesn't discourage you, but tonight we're going to go through the entire chapter of Psalms 51. I'm going to make it quick, but this is why it's a little bit outside of, uh, outside of my comfort zone and style. Because as I prayed about the message, began seeing all of the thoughts in Psalms 51, I felt led to just go verse by verse. We're going to start in verse number one after we pray. So if you're there, uh, let's pray together Psalms 51. Let's ask God to give us wisdom tonight in the message. Father God, I thank you tonight, Lord, for the opportunity to come before you. And Father, we're going to unite our hearts together tonight, but Lord, particularly tomorrow as a country, we're going to come before your throne of grace and we're going to ask for healing. And we're going to ask, Father, that your hand and your goodness be upon this country again. But Father, I believe we've got to get ready to pray. I don't know that we're ready to pray right now. And Lord, I don't know that if we know that we're ready to be restored, but help us to follow in the footsteps of David and help us to see tonight what we must do and who we must be in order to be able to call upon you and ask you to work in our life. And Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do in the message. I pray you give great grace and wisdom. Help us say what you'd have us to and help us not say what you wouldn't have us to. And I pray your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. The thought tonight is simply this, when we're ready to be restored. And I want to open with this statement. Just because we want to be restored does not mean we're ready to be restored. Now, I assure you, everyone that's listening tonight, everyone that's watching, whether you're a member of Central Baptist Church or not, you desire to be restored, and you want to be restored. You want things to get back to normal. You want life to get back uh, to where we can get out and about without wearing masks and get back to visiting our friends and our family, and we want to be restored, but I fear tonight we may be missing the point, and we're not spiritually ready to be restored. Now, Psalms chapter number 51, we are going to see in day. David, a clear, a crystal clear account on how we can know that we're ready to call upon God and ask God to restore us to where we're from. Now, in any chapter of the Bible, it's important to know the context, but especially Psalms 51, context is everything. And I want you to notice the heading that's above verse number one. The Bible says, to the chief musician, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So we know what's going on here. We know that David has stayed home from the battle and ignored what he knew he was supposed to do. And he sees Bathsheba bathing over on the rooftop, and he knows she's someone else's wife, and yet David desires to have her for his own, and so David ignores the word of God again, and what he knows is right again to go and have Bathsheba. He commits adultery with her, and in order to cover up his sin, David has Uriah to go to the forefront of the battle, and Uriah is killed as the army retreats away from him. And David has constantly run 
run from what he has known is right. He has run from the battle. He has run from God in committing adultery. He has continued to run from God in committing murder on Uriah. And now we come to the place in Psalms 51 where God sends the prophet Nathan to confront him. What David is being confronted by is the truth that he has been running from. He knew he should have been at battle, yet he ignored that. He knew that was another man's wife, and yet he ignored that. He knew, obviously, that murder was wrong, but he ignored that. And finally, God sent one of his men to point his finger in David's face and say, David, you have sinned, and David, you have transgressed the very word of God. And now we see in Psalms 51 the reaction. Now we see David is devastated. He's broken. He knows where he stands before God. He knows where he's at. He sees himself finally as God sees him. And I believe tonight, until we get to the place as a country and as a church and as individuals to where we see ourselves the way God sees us, I don't believe we're ready to call out and ask God to restore us. And so I want you to see just a few things tonight. David is going to show us in Psalms 51. Listen to me. If you care tonight that our country be restored and that God restore us back to the place that we were, where we have a right standing with him, you must follow the steps that David left behind for us in order to know where we stand with him. So let's start in verse number one. We're going to go verse by verse, very different than what I'm used to, and we're just going to go verse by verse, and I'm going to share with you what the Lord put on our heart on how we can prepare and know that we're ready to be restored. Look at verse one. The Bible says, David says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. I want you to notice as David jumps right to the point in verse number one, and he says, Have mercy upon me, O God. Now, what we see here is the first sign that we'll know that we're ready to be restored from God. And number one, notice this when only mercy will make a difference. David has come to the place in his life where he sees himself as God sees him. He knows where he stands. He knows where he has done wrong. And now the only thing that will make a difference in the life of David is the mercy of God. Folks, if we do not realize tonight that we are in desperate need of God's mercy, we are not ready to be restored. We're not ready there yet. And I want you to think about mercy tonight. Mercy is very interesting because when you ask for mercy, you are both telling God something and asking God for something in the very same statement. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, by asking God for mercy, by asking God to withhold from us what we deserve, we're asking God to withhold it by automatically admitting that we do deserve what we have coming. As much as I hate to say it, we deserve in America everything that we have coming to us right now and so much the more. And until we get to the place where we realize the only thing that will make a difference in our life, in our country, is God's mercy, we're not ready to be restored. Mercy is when we are acknowledging our sin while asking God for sympathy. We're acknowledging that we're wrong and we're acknowledging that what we're going through is by our own accord. It's because of David's sin that David was in the shape that he was in. And so David is acknowledging his sin by asking for mercy and asking God to intervene and withhold from him what he deserves. Now, I've never been in a trial or, a, or I've been in a courthouse, I've never been in a trial. 
But when you're in a court, uh, in a trial, and someone is, stands guilty, and you know that they're guilty, uh, and the evidence is there, the only thing left for someone to do when they are guilty, and they know that there's no way they're going to get out of it, the phrase is called throwing yourself upon the mercy of the court. You know that there is no way out, and you know that there is no solution. There's no need to even argue about it anymore. You're guilty. And all that you have left is a last-ditch effort, a final act of desperation, is to throw yourself before the mercy of the court. Now, folks, I don't believe to, I believe tomorrow if we get out on the National Day of Prayer and just ask God to heal our land without realizing what we need is mercy. Before we ask God for healing, I believe we need to tell God something. And we need to confess our sin before God and realize that it was our sin that has placed us in the position that we're in. And we're in desperate need of his mercy. And to throw ourselves upon the mercy of God. This is why Proverbs 28, 13, the Bible says, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper. Do you know what David was doing when he ran from God, when he was supposed to be at battle, and he ran from God and took another man's wife, and he was running from God and he killed the man? You know what he was doing? He was covering his sin. He said, I'm just going to run from it. I'm going to ignore it. And finally he got to the place where his sin had confronted him. Now, folks, I don't know if you realize this, but what we're seeing all over our country and all over our globe, it's our sin finally confronting us. We can't run from it anymore. And just as in David's case, he had a preacher do it. God is allowing the situation in our country to confront us of our sin and to bring us to the place to realize the only thing that's going to make a difference in America right now is the mercy of Almighty God. For God to withhold from us what we desperately deserve because of our sin. The Bible says that if we confess, he that covereth it shall not prosper. The Bible says we confess it and forsake it. What do we find? We find mercy. We find mercy and that's all that will help us right now. Many times I've been fishing and I enjoy fishing when I get a chance to do it. And every once in a while you'll hook a good one. And you'll be reeling that fish in, reeling that fish in. And boy, he's fighting and he runs with the line. And you're reeling him again, reeling him in. And he runs off with the line. And finally, finally, he loses his fight and you get him all the way into the boat. Oftentimes I believe that's the way it is with God. God's trying to reel us in. We've been running and running and running and God's trying to reel us in and we've been fighting and fighting and just about the place where we get to the point of repentance, we take off running again and God reels us in and reels us in and reels us in. Listen to me. We're not going to get to the place where we find healing and restoration until we get to the place where God finally gets us in the boat and where God finally gets us to the place where we're no longer fighting. I've told my wife several times, worked with a lot of teenagers, and had a lot of teenagers come in the office for counseling. And rebellious young people, you know, a lot of them go through that. And we'd have a meeting, and I would ask my wife, well, what do you think? And we would both kind of look at each other with the same smile, and we know what uh, that means, that they're not done fighting yet. You can tell. They're sitting there in the office, and they're still defending their sin, and defending themselves, and defending why they're not wrong. Until they're done with their fight, and until they're done fighting, there's no hope for them to be restored. It's the same thing for us. Number one tonight, notice verse number one. We're going to hurry. I'm not going to keep you any longer than we need to. And I know this is going to be a little bit different of a structure, but this is how the Lord's led us to preach tonight. Number one, notice when only mercy will make a difference. Look at verse two. <clears throat> David seeking restoration. He says, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. Keep reading verse 3. For I acknowledge my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. 
Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Last verse, verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Now, David is showing us in verse 2 through verse number 7 exactly why he needs mercy. And the second thing we need to see tonight, if we desire to be restored, the way we know that we're going to be restored is when we're convinced to come clean. That's number 2. When we're convinced to come clean. David starts in verse number 2. He says, wash me. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So he says, I'm dirty in verse 2. In verse number 3, notice he acknowledges his transgression. He says, my sin is ever before me. I thought about that this afternoon and how you cannot go anywhere in this town. You cannot turn any news on. You can't read anything online or even on Facebook, and you're not going to see the effects of this virus before you. Is our sin not ever before us? We've run from it and run from it and run from it. Finally, God has found a way for us to finally acknowledge our sin. But David, listen, David had gotten so used to his sin, God had to send the preacher to his house to let him know exactly where he stood. He's finally acknowledging what he's been running from. And I believe here in our country, we've been running from the truth of what we've known for a long time. Look, there's no excuse because we've had the Word of God. Faithful men have preached the Word of God down through the ages and the history of this country. We've had the truth, and yet we've run from it. And now finally, God has allowed, it, allowed our truth to confront us. Now here's what's interesting. Look at verse 2. The Bible says about David, he says, I want you to wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Notice the word thorough. David just didn't want a temporary fix. David says, I want to be washed thoroughly. And if you look at verse number 6, it says, the inward parts. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. What's he saying? He says, listen, I can't just be right on the surface. For too long in America, we've played church. We know how to play the game. We know how to look. We know how to talk. But I fear we haven't been washed thoroughly. I fear we have not found truth in the inward parts. Now, folks, if we desire God to restore us, first, we've got to realize it's only by his mercy. Second, we've got to get to the place where we're convinced that we need to come clean. You know, I imagine as David went through this on the surface, he looked like David always looked. He talked like David always talked. But on the inside, he knew he was not right. He says, I need to be washed thoroughly and cleanse me from my sin. Now, can I tell you something tonight? Pretending to be the church is not going to cut it anymore. We cannot, you know, we can all gather together as a church united around that flagpole out there tomorrow. And we're going to pray. We're going to ask God for healing in our country. But if it's not a thorough cleaning in our hearts... If we're not clean and have truth down to the inward parts, that is who we are, our consciousness, our reins, if you look it up. If we are not right with God through and through, I hate to tell you, we are not ready to be restored. And until we get serious about getting right with God, and I'm not talking about just on the surface, but thoroughly through and through where we search our hearts and we give God the permit, search our heart, search our life, show me what's wrong, help me to be right if we desire to be right with God then we're 
are ready to be restored. And we see David, he's saying, I want to be clean through and through. In verse 7, he says, purge me with hyssop. It's an interesting study. We won't have time to go into all of it tonight. But the hyssop was used by the priest. When someone had leprosy, they were quarantined. You look at Leviticus, quarantine is in the Bible. They put them outside the camp. And they would stay outside the camp until they were clean. And when they were clean, they had to go and report to the priest. And the priest would examine them to see if they were clean. And then he would ceremonially dip the hyssop in water and sprinkle it on them to signify that they were clean. Now, can I tell you, it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks about us. What matters is our great high priest says that we're clean. And David says, I want to be clean in your eyes. Look, I don't care what anybody else thinks about me or or knows about me. I just want to be right in your eyes. And he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. So number two, how do we know when we're ready to be restored? We're convinced to come clean and David is at the place. He's ready because he's coming clean with God. Keep reading. Look at verse number 8. We're going to skip a several verses here, so stick with me because they kind of go together. Verse number 8, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Look at verse 11. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Verse number 12 says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Now, I want you to connect those three verses, 8, 11, and 12. We see in two of them the word joy is mentioned. In verse number 11, David is saying, I want you to cast me away. I want to be close to you. And here's what's interesting. What's interesting is that David's sin was done in the name of enjoyment. Now think about it. What David did is what David enjoyed. And David's sin that took him away from God was done in the name of enjoyment, but evidently it didn't last. Why? Because now he's turning back to God. And he says in verse number 8, make me to hear joy. Wait a minute, David. I thought that 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 brought you joy. Stealing another man's wife and having what you wanted and getting whatever you wanted and doing away. Hey, I thought that brought you joy. No, it didn't last because now he's turning back to God. He says in verse number 11, cast me not away. I'm coming back to you and I'm asking you for joy. So how do we know when we're ready to be restored? Number three, when God is the source of our satisfaction. When God is the source of our satisfaction. Now, do you know David is asking for God to restore in verse number 12? You know what that means? That means he once had it. He once had it, but he doesn't have it anymore. You see, what David did was he cheated on God, and he tried to find his joy elsewhere, and yet now he's coming back. And folks, I know, it, I know it's not a, uh, a flattering term, but there's no other way to cut it tonight. We've cheated on God. God established this great country. This great country looked to God, and God supplied us with what we need, and God blessed us with what we need. Why? We were one nation under God. But then we got too big for our britches. We decided we're not going to be under God anymore. We're going to be like the people at Babel. We're going to be even with God and equal with God. And now we have found that we're having to turn back to God for the joy that only he could give. Turn with me to James chapter 4 real quickly. James chapter 4. I know this is a little bit different, but we're going to preach exactly what the Lord said preach, the way he said preach it, and I'll sleep good tonight. I hope you will as well. James chapter number 4, I want you to see something. The Bible says in verse number 2, ye lust, uh, James 4 verse 2, ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, ye fight in war and yet ye have not, because ye ask not. 
Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your, your lust. Watch verse 4, what he calls them. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Enemy of God. What is God saying here in verse 4? He says you're adulterers and adulteresses. Now I'm going to be honest with you. I wouldn't like to hear that if somebody called me that. But when we cheat on God with the world, that's exactly what we're doing. And that's exactly what God, that's what David did. He cheated on God, went to try to find his joy somewhere else, and now he's returning to God. He says, cast me not away. He says, I left you to find joy. I didn't find it there. Now I'm coming back to you, and I'm desiring that you restore the joy of my salvation. I believe the only hope for our country tonight is that we realize we had it right in the beginning. That God was the source of our hope, our joy, and God was the source of our strength. And we had no need to go out away from God and find it elsewhere. This is what the prodigal son found out. You know what the prodigal son found out when he's sitting there in the mire and the muck and the clay and the stink and the slop? He found out he had what he was looking for all along. What did he say? He's sitting there in the mud and he says, how many of my father's hired servants have got more than I got? He says, you know what I want? I want what I had. But he had to get to the place where he realized that the source of his satisfaction was going to come from his father. And that's what we've got to realize. Listen, we are not ready to be restored until we realize we are not going to find away from God what we can only find in God. That's why David says in verse number 11, cast me not away. I'm not going to find what I'm looking for away from you. That's why I'm coming back to you and asking you to restore the joy thy salvation. It's ironic. It may be even prophetic, and I believe it probably is. When we read in Revelation chapter number three, the church of Laodicea, which best describes the church, not only in America, but in our world today. They thought they were rich and increased with goods and had need of nothing. They had got everything they thought they wanted away from God. What does God tell them in Revelation chapter three, verse number 18? Matter of fact, I'll read it for you. He says, I want you to buy of me, verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness does not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. God says, come to me for what you're looking for. He says, you think you've got everything that you need, but notice what it's produced. He says in verse number 17, you're wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. He says, you went out away from me to find all that you thought that you wanted. It did not bring you joy. And now I'm counseling you to come back and repent and buy of me. Understand, folks, what we are looking for and what we desire is going to be found exactly where we left it when we walked away from God. And I believe we cheated on God and we've become adulterers and adulteresses. And if we're going to have our country restored, we're going to have to get to the place where God is the source of our, of our satisfaction. Let's keep reading verse 13. David says, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Now this one really hit home with me when you think about who's writing this. David is desiring to speak and to sing of the goodness of the Lord again. 
when I read this earlier in the week, I thought how sad that the sweet psalmist of Israel has lost his song. The sweet psalmist of Israel. Matter of fact, verse number 15, he's asking God to open thou my lips. He can't even open his lips. You see, what the devil doesn't tell you when he's tempting you to leave God to pursue joys away from the true joy that you'll only find in God. What the devil does not tell you is that sin will silence your song. And here the sweet psalmist of Israel has lost his song. And how sad that he's begging God. He says, I, I want to teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted. He says, I want my tongue to sing aloud of thy righteousness. And he's begging God, open my lips. And I think about how freely David spoke of the goodness of God and wrote about God and the blessings of God and all the benefits of God. And now he's just begging God to sing one more time. And I believe one way you can know when you're ready to be restored, number four, when our song has fallen silent. When our song has fallen silent. Now, I don't use the word hate often. That's a, that's a coarse word. Uh, I don't even hate celery. I don't like celery, but I don't even hate it. That's kind of a harsh word, and it's just a vegetable. So I'm not even going to say that I hate celery. But I'll tell you one thing that I do hate. I hate sin. I hate it. I really do. I was sitting back in the office today trying to think about how much I hate sin. And it's because we see the effects of sin every day. And one of the things that breaks my heart as a pastor, and I cannot imagine how God feels. Because I'm human and I'm flesh, and at times I excuse my sin. But I look at sin and I see the effects of sin on moms and dads and homes and children and teenagers, even on churches, and you look on a grand scale in our country. And it just makes you want to hate sin. Why? Because I see so many, so many people who used to love to tell the story, talked about the goodness of God, enjoy coming to church, sing about praises of God, whether you can sing good or not. They love singing about God and his goodness and how he saved them. And then something happens, you see them sometime later, and they've lost their song. Do you know how when you're ready to be restored, when you've come to the place and you realize you've lost your song? Can I ask you, when was the last time you sang I'm not talking about singing. I'm talking about when was the last time the praise and the goodness of God. I'm not talking about just repeating a song as we're singing congregationally. When was the last time the praises of God were on your lips because of how much you love him and all he's done for us and all that you desire to do for him? You see, sin steals our song and sin silences our song. We see a clear picture of this in Psalms 137. I'm going to read this for you. You know this well. Verse 2 through 5. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Now this is the people of God who've been taken into captivity. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted of us required us of us mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Notice they were known for their song. They had a song, the songs of Zion. But notice their reply at the end in verse number four. The Bible says, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? I believe far too many Christians tonight have hung up their harps. Why? 
because they're in a strange land. They forsook God to pursue joy in the world, and they've lost their song. They can't sing anymore. The Bible says in Matthew 12, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Because of what's going on in here, it comes out here. Well, some days I just love to sing, and my wife lets, she puts up with it. She listens to it. I love to sing. Well, cutting the grass sometimes. Well, I love singing out there, singing about the goodness of God and the blessings of God. But boy, sometimes, sometimes my heart is not exactly right where it needs to be. Maybe I was unkind to someone. Maybe I have drifted away from the Lord and didn't spend enough time in prayer and devotion with Him in my morning. I don't feel like singing. Why? Because sin silences your song. And maybe one of the things that will help you realize that you're in need of restoration is your, your song has fallen silent. Now let's read the rest of these verses and we're going to be done tonight. Verse 16, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, and a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness. With burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. What's going on here? There's a lot of sacrifice and there's a lot of offering in these verses. Here's what David is showing us. David is recognizing he knows what God wants and he's determined to give God what he wants. He says in verse 16, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. David knows what God wants, and he's going to give God what he wants. And so tonight, the last thing I want us to see is how we know when we're ready to be restored. Number five, when obedience becomes our offering. When obedience becomes our offering. Notice David says in verse 16, he says, I know that you don't desire sacrifice, or I would give it. David says, I'm not holding back anything. David says, I know what you want, and I'm going to give you exactly what I want. This is how we know that David is ready to be restored because he no longer holds back anything from God. He says, whatever you want, I would give it. It's interesting that it comes full circle because he says in verse number 17, the sacrifices of God are a, are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Notice what it's coming back to. It's coming back to that full circle of realizing that we're broken and in desperate need of the mercies of God. And I often wonder with some people, will they ever be broken? Will they ever be broken? I hope and I pray that America is broken enough to the place where we realize that we must give God what he wants. And here's what I want you to understand tonight. I do not know what God wants of you other than what he states in his word. But God desires and demands so much of us that only we and he knows about. And we've got to be willing to give God what he wants and no longer hold back from what he desires. Or else we see the alternative in Proverbs 29. Verse 1, the Bible says, He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy. Now here's what's ironic. How ironic it is that brokenness is the only remedy that can prevent or can prevent brokenness. That us being broken before God and coming before God and saying, God, we are broken and we are contrite. That's the only remedy that will prevent us from becoming broken and without remedy. God says, I have the answer. The answer is my mercy. And that's the only thing that will make a difference in America tonight. But we've got to get to the place where we realize we're broken. 
We've got to get to the place where we realize that we can no longer hold back from God what he desires of us. He tells us in verse 19, the beginning, what he desires. Now, the Bible says, then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness. Righteousness. It's come full circle. Started in verse number one where David realizing he needed mercy. He was broken. Realizing in verse number two that he needed to be clean. What is being clean? It's verse 19. It's the sacrifice of righteousness. There's no way we can ask God to heal our country. I think we're wasting our time praying tomorrow. If we are not ready, if we are not ready to be restored, how do we know we're ready to be restored? Number one, I'll give you these and we're done. When we finally realize it's the mercy of God that's going to make the difference. There's nothing we can do other than throw ourselves before the mercy of God to see a difference in our country. Number two, when we're finally ready to come clean, we're not going to hold back from God anymore. Our pet sins, we're coming clean before God. We want to be thoroughly washed. Thoroughly. All the way down to our inward parts. All the way through and through. It's not going to work to pretend to be right with God anymore. Number three, when God is the source of our, our satisfaction. We realize that all of the joys of the world were counterfeit. We cheated on God to go find joy in other places. And now David comes back to God and says, it's not real. It doesn't last. He says, push me not away. I want my joy restored. And then we realize our song has fallen silent. It's no longer in our lips anymore. We don't talk about the goodness of God. Why? Because we're in a strange land. We know we're not right with God. We know there's things we're holding back from God. And then finally, when obedience becomes our offering. David says, thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. David says, I'm going to give you what you're asking of me. And my prayer is tomorrow that we won't just pray another prayer. God, heal our economy. God, heal our, our country. God, heal our church. Let's get back there soon. No, that we'll be ready to pray. We'll realize that in order for God to heal our country, it's only going to be through his mercy. And that we'll throw ourselves before the mercy of God. And we'll find ourselves ready to be restored. Tonight, I want you to have your heads bowed and eyes closed just for a few minutes. I know this message is very different.